0: Today we are going to be in John 14, the way, the truth, the life. We're going to be walking through this and walking in this text. Um, Before we even get started, um, I don't want us to live in a, a season or a life of just phoning this in. That we are just Christians here because we come to church. This morning I woke up and our babies were frustrating, to be frank. I didn't sleep last night, didn't sleep this morning, constantly being difficult. And then when we sing the song, all to Jesus I surrender, all thee I freely give, I will ever love and trust you, in your presence daily live. I want that to be the mark of our life, not that we say it, not that we come here and do it, but really live it out and experience it and see it and taste it and feel it and look around and see everybody here and know that we are together in this going towards new Jerusalem. We are looking towards Christ. I miss Saw today, this morning. I wanted peace and quiet, and I wanted my breakfast and to be left alone. I missed Jesus this morning. So I look and I see and listen to that song and hear us sing out I surrender all. Did I today? I didn't. I wanted my way. I wanted what I thought would bring me happiness, and that was rest. But rest is found in Christ. So I don't want us to come here and just play the game that everyone plays. That we are Christians, so we come here because if we don't, we're bad. God came in flesh, lived life, died and rose, giving us freedom, hope, peace, and his Holy Spirit. That's far greater than anything I can give you up here. I'll give you some pleasantries. I'll give you some things to take away and hopefully get hope onto. But hope and look and focus in on Jesus, not me. Me, I have a ponytail right now. Don't what are you doing? Because if not, it just goes everywhere and it touches my face. I don't like it. But I need us to get that more than anything. Get Christ more than anything. Understand the gospel more than anything, please. So We're into week three of the Way, the Truth, the Life series. Before I go any farther, I'm just going to pray for us. And pray with me that the Spirit would be present and illuminate our hearts and minds and that we would worship today. That right here on Parsons Avenue, the fact that there is, we are temples of the living God. The fact that that is true. Allow us to know that deep in our bones that when we are worshiping today. We have an access and a presence with the living God. Actual presence here. This isn't a game. We're talking about life change. If you got that citizens app, I do, and I have this neighborhood focused in. Shootings after stabbings, after overdoses, after this. Over and over again, my phone goes off with what's happening in this neighborhood. We are to be salt and light. Stop trying to stay away from the world. Enter in the world and show them Christ. They need you. They need Christ in you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. Expanding his kingdom. Every day I see people who are dealing with extreme circumstances. And I am one person. We are going to get into all this today, but the greater works that Jesus Christ can do is the fact that he takes sinners like us and he puts his spirit in them and then he sends them out. Across the nations. Across the world. We all can go to the ends of the earth, portable temples. Father, thank you for these men and women. I pray that we would know that today, that we would have the spirit of God dwelling inside of us, that we would, with hope, stand firm and say, Lord, I surrender all. All to thee I freely give to ever love and trust you in your presence, daily live. I pray that that would be our cry, that we would daily live in the presence of God. Father, please be here. Be active. Take us from death to life, and those who are living, take us into deeper life, because you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Father, I need you. If I don't have you, I have nothing. Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Look at me on, teary-eyed. We're in week three, week three of the Way, the Truth, and Life sermon series, and Jesus is about to go to the cross, and He's equipping His people for His works. That's what He's doing, and it may sound repetitive. I might be repeating myself because I am. Because this is what the gospel is. Jesus is preparing his people for their work after his departure. This is where we're at in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, Lord's Prayer, 17. And then we go through in 18, his crucifixion. So when you want to make the purpose clear, what do you do? You repeat it. You say it over and over and over again. And this is what Jesus does. In the beginning of this chapter, he says this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. This is how he starts this. So what is he talking about and how does that relate? Well, what he's talking about relates to not letting your heart be troubled. So Jesus is laying down these beautiful truths in this chapter for his followers so that they will be equipped not to have troubled hearts. And how do I know this? Not only does he start in the beginning with that, He ends this statement with that. Verse 27, he says, peace I leave to you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So there's two sandwiches. Let not your heart be troubled. Dialogue, let not your heart be troubled. So clearly Jesus is telling us these things in order to not have our hearts be troubled. We have to know that. We have to know that the Lord is trying to teach his disciples. And these words can't be divorced from the larger story. So everything we're going to talk about in the rest of this sermon series, The Way, the Truth, of Life, is sandwiched in between those two statements. Do not let your heart be troubled. So before we walk into the text that we're going to be into today, I want us to have this statement in the forefront of our mind right here. Jesus is telling these truths to his followers at that time, but also to us today. So is your heart troubled? Is your heart anxious? When was this morning? I can't stand up here and preach this stuff if I'm not being honest with you. So why is Jesus telling his people to not have troubled hearts? The Greek word for trouble means to cause inward confusion or commotion. The idea here is uh, the idea of water crashing. So a boat just hitting into the waves and just being tossed to and fro. Turbulent seas. When we're talking about troubled hearts, that's the imagery that they know in the Greek. Troubled hearts. Have you felt like this? Do you feel like this? Do you ever have fear welling up inside of you? Not knowing how you should feel. I know I have. This is why this is such a liver shot for me this morning. I can't write this sermon and not be moved by what it says. Or I'm divorced from the text. I'm just sitting up here spouting out words. What point is that? Are we transformed by the renewal of our mind? My mind has been turbulent and uneasy feeling like I couldn't get a handle of my emotions, that I was tossed to and fro. This mindset leads to poor decisions, poor actions, because we operate out of the emotions of fear, but not godly fear, not fearing the Lord, fear of man, fear of not not getting our way. That's why Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in me, I'm the stability, like an anchor that holds a ship down. In a storm, he holds it steady. Jesus is the anchor of our souls that allows us to not be tossed to and fro. He is our stability. He is our rock. He is our fortress. This is what the Psalms talk about when it comes to Jesus. Trouble also means taking away one's calmness of mind. We felt that as well. My mind isn't calm this week. You want to know why? I have a misunderstanding of my purpose. My eyes aren't fixated on reality. The reality is that I'm a blood-bought son of Jesus Christ. The King of kings, Lord of lords, the God who bro- breathed out galaxies into existence. That one calls me son. And when you know who you are, and you know whose you are, There is a calmness. There is a misunderstanding in identity. And if we are Christ, no matter the raging sea around us, he is our calm. He is the never-changing one. Remember, he is our rock. He is our foundation. He is our fortress. He is our shield. He is our light. Go through the Psalms and read about him because that's our God. When I feel troubled, the reality is, I have a misunderstanding of who's really in control. It's Jesus, surprise, I'm gonna let you guys know that. Jesus Christ is the one who's in control. He is God, he is Lord, he is the one that raises people from the dead, he is the one that makes people new, he is the one that brings people hope. I cannot do this. Guys, you have to know that about me. I am not the savior. No one in this room is the Savior. We point to the Savior. This is our works that we do. Is we look and we point and we say, that's the man you need to follow. That's the man you need to look to. My troubled heart came this week when I forgot to give thanks to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says this. He says that he would take my concerns, my anxieties. He says he wants my life. And we learned last week that Philip and Thomas would be able to have conversations with Jesus so we can have these conversations with our Savior. Do not hide from him. Tell him how you truly feel. He can handle it. And this leads to clarity and peace of mind. Because things are outside of our control and we all know it, right? Jesus wants his flock to think clearly with peace-filled minds. Jesus says that true calming and the calming of troubled hearts are found in the way, the truth, the life. And that's in Jesus. He says, peace I leave with you and peace I will give you. Not as the world gives you. Peace he will give you. The world may offer you momentary times of peace. You may have a hard day at work and you might get some donuts or whatever. Momentary. You might be able to veg out on a video game or television. Momentary. You may even get lost in a book. Momentary. Now I'm not saying these things are sinful, but we have to run to the source of peace. If we want peace, if you are left troubled, know that Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the giver of wisdom. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he wants our hearts to not be troubled. So I'm laying down this groundwork because, like I said, front and end, everything that I talk about is about calming the troubling hearts of his disciples. So we are going to be asked to do some things by Jesus. And without this understanding and letting our trust and calm in our troubled hearts, if we're not focused in on Jesus and what he says, it's going to be very difficult to carry out what he asks. We believe in Jesus because of who he is. And he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. So with all that introduction, we're going to be in three verses today. Three verses. It's going to start chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I read that three weeks ago and preparing for this sermon. I was like, oh, I gotta take that part off the sermon that I was doing, because that's a lot of, there's a lot there. So the three points can be found in your bulletin today. The three points are continue the works of Jesus, carrying out the greater works of Jesus, and everything we need comes from Jesus through prayer. It's just that simple. So continuing the works of Jesus. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Do you know that we are to continue the work of Christ? Now, this might sound strange, but Christianity is a participatory religion. Christianity is not you come on a Sunday, listen to a guy talk, go to Bob Evans afterwards, head home. That's not Christianity. What Christianity is, is us carrying out the works of Christ that he did through his power, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. There's life change there. There's from death to life there. So what that means is every one of us should be made more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. Every one of us. This isn't just called for the pastor. This isn't just the leaders. This isn't just the people who are MCs. If you say you are a Christian, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and have his Holy Spirit, if that is you, you are to carry out Jesus' works. No questions asked. This is what Christ says. Remember, a few weeks back, our catechism question was talking about fancy words of justification and sanctification. Justification is your legal stance of being deemed not guilty by God. So if we trust in Jesus, we are declared not guilty, right? So if anybody has been involved in court cases that were acquitted of the crimes of just treason against the holy God, this is what justification looks like. Sanctification is the process of you being made more and more and more like Jesus. So our goal here in the body of Christ is not to become a better version of you.' It's to become like Jesus. Now don't get me wrong because the more you become like Jesus, the better a person you'll be. But that's not the goal. It isn't self-help and self-improvement? What the goal is is Christ's likeness? And don't get me wrong. you will. Be a little bit more gentler, kinder. Turn to repentance. Be like, hey, I messed up here. But Jesus is the standard for what it means to be a person. Jesus is our standard. That's why he says he's the way, the truth, the life. Now he says that we get to carry out his works. What does that mean? We can sit down and think about the works that Jesus carried out, but what is it talking about here? What are the works that Jesus did? We see that he did many miracles. We see that he healed people. But what was the reason of his miracles and healings? What was the purpose of him doing those things? Was it healing for the sake of healing? Was it just to show his power? We know in the Gospel of John, Jesus did many signs and it pointed to the truth of who he was. The reason he did miracles wasn't to just do miracles, but to prove the one doing the miracles is God. So we have to know that. If we get obsessive about miracles, we don't understand that they're a sign pointing to God. The question sounds familiar What is the works of God? You'll know this because in John 6. This question was asked by some Jewish leaders. John 6, 28 says, they said to him, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? It's a fair question. I'm asking it doing sermon prep. He says, the work of God is that you believe in him whom he has sent. Okay, so that's the work of God. Is that it? So for us to be doing the works of God, we have to start here. That has to be the groundwork. Guys, we can feed the hungry, we can clothe the naked, we can visit the prisoner, we can do all those good things. Amen. Do them. And we do. But the foundation for what it means to be doing the works of God is knowing Jesus Christ. And being in a relationship with him and everything else flows from that. We have to start there. If that's what Jesus says the work of God is, we must start there. Is that knowing him. So if you believe in Jesus, you are justified. That means you are made right in the eyes of God, and you become free. And you become free to become more like Jesus. But also, what does the context reveal about what Jesus is saying here? If you go back one or two verses, it says in verse 10, and pay attention to this, please. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? It's Jesus talking. Next sentence. The words... That I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. It's a fascinating thing right there, right? Jesus says that the Father does his works through the words of Jesus. God the Father does his works through the words of Jesus. This indicates that the primary works of Jesus, talking about in this context in this area of text is the words that Jesus has spoken. So Jesus is God in flesh, the God who spoke the universe into existence. So when Jesus speaks, God is speaking. We learn more about this in the book Romans by the Apostle Paul. So how can we make faith manifest in this world? How does this happen? Romans 10 gives us a clue about this. Romans 10 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Love that. Keep going. How then will they call on him whom have not believed? Right? And how are they to believe of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? And it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord has believed that he had heard from us. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The works of God are done through the words of Jesus. So to distill it down, Jesus' works were to proclaim the truth of God and purchase a people of God. That's what Jesus came for, to proclaim the truth about God and to purchase a people for God. So how are we to continue Jesus' works here? Because we aren't the ones dying on the cross. That is Jesus Christ. Our works are to proclaim Christ with our lips and point to him through our lives. That's it. You want to know the works of God? I was laying down the groundwork, but the works of God is to proclaim Christ with our lips and to point through Him to him through our lives. This is why Romans says faith comes by hearing. If we want to see more people come to faith and trusting in Jesus Christ and be transformed, we have to have our mouth open proclaiming Jesus Christ. We cannot be silent on this matter. We must use our mouth to proclaim what Jesus has done. And this should be secondary nature for us. But I hear this all the time. We talk about what we enjoy. Period. We do. If we enjoy something, we talk about it. If we enjoy football, we talk about it. If we enjoy a TV show, we talk about it. If we enjoy a game, we talk about it. If we truly enjoy God and moved by Scripture and a prayerful people, we will talk about it. If you're not talking about Jesus, you might not really enjoy him. I say that with confidence because I have heard each one of us in this room talk about things they love. And I see it in your eyes and your hearts and you get lost in what you're passionate about. And it's a beautiful thing. But we need to get lost in Christ. If we truly say that, yes, Josh, we need to see evangelism. Yes, Josh, the Citizens app showing all these shootings and drug abuse. Yeah, that's a problem. Then we need to really enjoy. Two things I've been hitting on, especially in 2020. Scripture-saturated, prayerful people. Those are our first two values. Read the Bible daily, pray to them. You want to know how to pray? So on the back of your thing, Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We try to equip the saints for the work of the ministry here because that is how we see life change. This is how we see families mended. This is how we see hope restored. Through the church being the church. So if we believe in him, he says we will carry out his works. So as we trust and believe in Jesus, we will proclaim what Jesus has done for us. And we will become slowly more and more like him through our speech, our thoughts, our behaviors. We will carry on his work, proclaiming the truth of God with our words and works. But then, in the next step, this one was fun. Jesus is always subverting expectations. I sit here and read this and I'm like, what is going on? Says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. That makes sense. Keep going. In greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. In greater works that you will do because I am going to the Father. I was like, oh my gosh. This is the second point, and this can be a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. Like, how can us, being followers of Jesus, sinful people, do greater works than God in flesh? Jesus was God, right? He walked on water, right? He did healings, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead, right? He died on the cross and raised himself from the dead, right? How can I do anything greater than he did? So let's take a step into the ministry of Jesus after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. After he sent the Spirit. Let's read what happens. We will be picking up a few weeks after Peter. The man who will deny Jesus this night. Three times before the rooster crows. A few weeks later he gives a sermon. On the gist of this, this is in Acts 2. It summarizes this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and sign that God did through him in your midst as yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed at the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by them. That's what He says, proclaiming what God has done with his mouth. Peter, proclaiming the truth of God with his words and works. This man who was once full of fear with a troubled heart, now calm, preaches and proclaims with boldness Jesus Christ and him crucified, done by the hands of sinful men who were right in front of him, murderers he was talking to. And what happens? These people went from death to life in an instant. This is what happens after Peter's Pentecost sermon, verse 37. Now they heard this and they were cut to the heart. And he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls unto himself. Verse 40, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort him, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and those who were added. to to this day, were 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Do you know at Pentecost alone more believers were added to Jesus's movement than his entire earthly ministry of three years? 3,000. Now the question I have for you, is this a greater work? I think so. Think about it in one sermon. By a man who recently denied Jesus. He has seen more conversions than our Lord's entire three years of ministry. A betrayer, a coward, that man sees that fruit by that God's spirit. It's an amazing thing. And now this work is both greater in quality and quantity. And I know that might be like, what are you talking about? But in quantity, because we are not geographically limited to Israelites or its surroundings. Know that. The Gentiles have been grafted in. The gospel is for the entire world. We are not limited to a single area. We will see that the gospel will touch every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And they will be standing before the throne of the Lamb. Through His Church, His Body, all nations gathered together. And know this: we are the temple, not the stone building that was found in Israel and that was wrecked and destroyed in seventy A.D. No, we are the portable temples. We are not landlocked. That means if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that means wherever you are, you can worship. You can worship. And that also means that whoever is close to you is close to God. Do not forget that. You do not have to bring them to church on Sunday to get them to hear the gospel if they are close to you. You can share them the good news. So because we are portable temples, every conversation with another person, every conversion is another temple being erected. What a beautiful thing that is. And the more people who are Christians, the more light there is in darkness. So that is what I'm talking about by quantity. But what about quality? That might be the one that's like, Josh, what are you talking about? In the Old Testament, they were hoping in a promise foretold. But now, brothers and sisters, we have a promise fulfilled. They were looking towards a Messiah, and we have seen him. God did come, as Jesus did die. He did rise. He did defeat the schemes of the enemy. In the words of our Savior, it is finished. He purchased our reconciliation and redemption, so the work has been completed, and we are now living in a time when the promises have been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. The King is here. So not only will we have the task of continuing the works of Jesus, but we will see greater works done. We will be equipped to do these works because Jesus himself will be with us. He will be carrying out the work through his spirit because everything we need comes from Jesus through prayer. It says in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I know we can look at this verse and get pumped and like, man, I got myself a magic genie. I just get to rub a lamp and ask and he would do anything. This is not what this section is talking about. Jesus says it clearly with two asterisks. One, that the requests need to be in the name of Jesus. And two, that they will result in the Father being glorified in the Son. These are the two things that happens when prayers are answered. So what, Jesus is, asking in, so what is asking in Jesus' name? What does that mean? What does it actually mean to ask in someone's name? A request in the name of Jesus is a request keeping with his character and mission of Christ. You have to know that. For our prayers to be in Christ's names, they have to be in Christ's character with the mission of Christ. So in order to be a prayerful people, we have to have a biblical perspective. You must be a scripture-saturated person. You need to know Jesus is, who he is, how he operates, how he wants you to pray, and how to pray. We must be a people in the word. I hear it so often that people think that God is being silent. They never open their Bibles. They don't read about Jesus Christ. They don't listen to his word even. I promise to you, the more time you spend in the word, the more you know Jesus, the more you will hear his voice, the more you will understand what he is asking you to do. Like, for example, I spend time with my daughters. I love them so much. I love to hear what they have to say. And I know what they want and what they don't want when it comes to snacks and food. I know this because I spend time with them. I know this because I'm with them. But if somebody comes in and has never watched my daughters, and they say, like, yeah, you probably like, I don't know, fish and chips. Like, they don't. They don't like that. Those are not what they like to eat. But because I know them, I can spend time with them, and I do spend time with them, and I can get familiar with them. A lot of us don't know Jesus' voice because we realistically don't spend time with him. You might hear my voice. I am just an echo of these scriptures. I read this, I chew on this, and I preach it. But brothers and sisters, please do me a favor. Do not sustain yourself on an echo, but go to the actual source. Read this. Chew on it. The Gospels tell us that Jesus set out to accomplish two things. Proclaiming the truth of God and purchasing the people of God. Jesus does not promise to grant requests that are out of step with his character or purpose. Chiefly, he wants to magnify the glory of God. The glory of his Father. And how do we know what glorifies God? How can we know that? We can know what glorifies God By reading about him, what does he say? What has God revealed about himself? With our troubled hearts, we can have confidence that Jesus will answer prayers that are in line with his name. Jesus says he doesn't want us to have troubled hearts. He lays out some amazing truths in these short verses, namely that we will continue his works, that we will proclaim God with our words and works, and he will allow us to be a part of a greater work Through this being completed, not just promised, but purchased. And He will supply every need for this work through prayer. So your heart might be troubled today, but know when we trust in Christ, He lays out a plan and purpose for us. We are not to be tossed to and fro, every which way like a boat out in sea. We are to stand firm, knowing that we have access to know the one who has power over the sea. So, church, my prayer for you today is let us not be troubled, because Jesus Christ himself has us, and he also has stuff for us to do. Our work is to proclaim Christ with our lips and point to him through our lives. And he himself will carry this work out through prayer in his spirit. All for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these men and women. I pray that we would be equipped to do your work, to know what you want to accomplish. You're the King of kings, Lord of lords. You're the God of all creation. I pray that we would not be stagnant or stale in our walk, but we would lift up our hands to you, praise you, And thank you for what you've done and continue to do. Father, each and every one of these people in this room who trust that Christ is the Savior are portable temples. They might feel exhausted and tired. And what does that mean? I can't do more works. He says, don't be troubled. But I will carry out them works through prayer. Father, teach us all to be in a relationship with you, in love with you, reading your words, understanding your voice, being bold in the face of challenges. We want to stand firm on your truth, not be tossed to and fro. You're our King, you're our Lord, you're our God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.